Hello, and welcome to You've Got to Read This, a podcast for those with a passion for reading. Each year, hundreds of thousands of books are published in the U.S. Millions are published worldwide. Join us as we navigate the world of books in hopes of introducing you to something new. I'm Michelle Dubois. And I'm Renee Seinfeld. And you're listening to You've Got to Read This. Hello, podcast listeners. School is out for summer, and we're quickly approaching the month of July, which means time for summer reading. Whether your purpose for reading is to escape the daily grind or to enrich your understanding of the world at large, we've got some exciting book recommendations in this episode. So grab your beach towels and let's dig in. Our first novel today is entitled The Parade by Dave Eggers. Renee and I listened to this book on audio, and we encourage our listeners to do the same. The audio narrator, Dion Graham, really breathes life into Dave Eggers' characters. Plus, it's a short novel to listen to at only three and a half hours. The setting of the novel is present day in an unnamed war-torn country in the very recent aftermath of a civil war. The two men at the center of this story are infrastructure contractors and foreigners in the country. They have never met prior to this assignment and have arrived to the country separately. Their assignment is to pave a 21-kilometer road between a remote village and the capital. Part of the company's contract, the two men are not allowed to share their real names with each other, so instead they pick a number to call themselves by. Four and nine become their chosen names. Four is responsible for driving a very large and sophisticated paving machine that both lays the pavement and paints the stripes. Nine's job is to drive ahead of the paving machine on a four-wheeler and to remove obstacles in the road and to alert Nine of any trouble. What makes this book so compelling is the setting and the two central characters. The two men are polar opposites. Four is mature, serious, strictly abides by the rules set forth in their contract with the company, and he's very experienced at this work, this being his 63rd or 64th assignment of a similar nature in a war-torn country. Nine, on the other hand, is immature, idealistic, oblivious, and experiences the world with childlike optimism. His value in this assignment is that he speaks the local language, four does not. Mm. Inside the RS-80 paving machine, there are guns, hand grenades, cash, food rations, and a first aid kit. The war is over in this country, but there is a lot of lingering tension and hostility, newly blossomed corruption, and a transitioning government. Their job, though seemingly simple, is in a potentially dangerous region of the country. In their contract, the men are required to abide by several rules. The rules are simple. Don't eat the local food, don't drink the local water, don't engage with, fraternize, or do business with the locals, and don't drink alcohol. The reason for these rules is obvious to the reader. The war is recently over, and as foreigners, you want to appear diplomatic and don't want to give the appearance you're siding or interacting with certain factions and not others. The conflict in the story arises when the personalities of these two men clash. Nine breaks all of the company rules, not out of defiance, but because he's too immature to the importance of why the rules exist. He doesn't seem to understand why these rules are in place. He acts more like a world-touring backpacker. And so 
He breaks the rules. He engages with the locals. He's enamored by the villages and he eats the local food. Four's annoyance with Nine only escalates as the story progresses. Four just wants to focus on finishing the job, meeting their deadline, and getting back home. Nine's disregard for the rules eventually lands them into trouble, risking not only their deadline, but their safety. You know, I really loved this book for the character development and the constant tension. I felt tense the entire novel. I was anxious. I was waiting for something bad to happen to these men. And I felt anxious because Nine's character was driving me crazy. I think I said out loud at one point, oh my God, stop talking already. His character was so annoying. And the tension is fascinating in that it's really only carried by the character four and the reader. The character Nine feels no tension whatsoever. That was interesting and unusual. Yeah, it's very suspenseful. The author does a good job Mm -hmm. at creating that that suspense Mm -hmm. of, oh, building what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going according to plan. Right. And for me, I think this would have been a completely different experience had I read the book and not listened to it as an audio. I'm not sure I would have enjoyed it as much if I read it. It's true. And, you know, as I said at the beginning, it's a really short novel, but it has so much impact. Yeah. The narrator, Dion Graham, breathes so much Mm -hmm. life into the story and into the characters. His ability to go back and forth between the voices into such different personalities and with quick um, succession is really impressive. Yeah. We would strongly recommend this book for book groups. One, because it's a short read, but also because there's so much to analyze and to brood over. Readers can discuss the merits of each of the characters as well as their flaws. They both had pros and cons. Between the two men, you know, whose approach was better? You and I, Renee, had this conversation Mm -hmm. back and forth on this exact topic, Mm -hmm. which is why we recommend it to book groups. The book, again, is called The Parade by author Dave Eggers. His last name is spelled E-G-G-E-R-S. Dave Eggers is a white American author who is originally from Boston, Massachusetts, and then Lake Forest, Illinois. He is the author of about 11 books, his most famous being perhaps The Circle, which came out in 2014 and was turned into a movie starring Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson. The novel The Parade was published in 2019 by Penguin Random House. As a general rule, Renee and I try not to read the same book the other is reading, unless it's an audiobook that we're listening to in the car, like the parade previously discussed. Our aim is to read as many different books as possible between each recording so that we can bring you, our audience, at least five unique titles in each episode. But it's hard, especially when the other person is raving about her Mm -hmm. book all week long, saying things like, oh my God, I love this book. You've (laughs) got to read this, which, okay, it's the title of the show. (laughs) But this month, we succumbed to the pressure and decided to read each other's books. The next two novels we're going to recommend, we literally recommended to each other. Both are the quintessential summer read. Let's start with Lessons in Chemistry. This delightfully satisfying novel is based in California in the 1960s. The protagonist, a fictional character by the name of Elizabeth Zott, is a no-nonsense white woman in her 20s. Elizabeth is a scientist, and she approaches life without emotion, always based in fact. Her dream is to earn her PhD in chemistry and to acquire a lab of her own. 
becoming a single mother with a cooking show was not part of the plan. When she first meets Calvin Evans, it is not love at first sight. If anything, she assumes he is as self-absorbed and misogynistic as the other men she has previously studied under and worked with up to this point. Calvin, after all, is the great Nobel Prize-nominated scientist, researcher, and elitist rower. He is the star employee at Hastings Institute, where he and Elizabeth work. But while her colleagues wish she would quit the lab and resign herself to making copies and coffee, Calvin treats her as an equal, and they bond intellectually. The chemistry between them creates a chain reaction of events that neither of them could have predicted. The first half of the book follows Elizabeth as she tries to make a name for herself as a scientist, but in the second half of the book, a tragic event leads to Elizabeth becoming a single mother and eventually the host of a televised, syndicated cooking show called Supper at Six. The story gets even more interesting when a mysterious donor is discovered to be funding research at Hastings Institute. More precisely, they're funding Elizabeth's research, unbeknownst to her. The identity of the donor is an eye-opening revelation that brings the story full circle. The Cooking Show is just one component of this multi-pronged novel. Author Bonnie Garmus provides fascinating and peculiar backstories for her primary and secondary characters, personal histories that are important to future events. Even Elizabeth's dog has a backstory. Each character has experienced either a tragedy, a trauma, an injustice, or all three. And although they are scarred, they are empowered by their recognition of their own self-worth. I enjoyed this book immensely. Elizabeth's character is fiercely independent and uncompromising, and I love her for it. In her experience, one must take care of oneself. But sometimes, she learns, you need a coordinated effort, like rowers in a boat, to finish the race. This book is funny, charming, sometimes sobering, but also a feel-good story that we tend to gravitate to for summer reading. This book was really funny and endearing. The character Elizabeth Zott reminded me of a milder Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory and her, how rational and intellectual she was and not, not picking up cues. Um, and it, she just made me laugh out loud several times. Mm-hmm. I also really loved the dog in the story. I think his name was 630. Right. And the story behind that name was was part of the story. He was really an active character mm-hmm. in that he frequently shared his thoughts and we experienced his thoughts in the house, which was really fun and different. It was really sweet and endearing. I loved it. You know, it's funny how I came upon this book. I think I was just scanning Publishers Weekly mm. and the cover is very colorful And I think that's what drew my eye first. Mm -hmm. But it mentioned that the author was a rower and immediate kinship, right? As a former competitive rower myself, I was like, oh, well, now I got to read this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The author, Bonnie Garmus, is a copywriter and creative director. She is a white woman born in sunny California. She most recently lived in Seattle before moving to London with her husband. Lessons in Chemistry is her debut novel. And like her protagonist, Bonnie Garmus is also a rower and a mother. Lessons in Chemistry was published by Doubleday Books in April 2022. The author's last name is spelled G-A-R-M-U-S. 
A word of caution to our readers out there with regard to both books, Lessons in Chemistry and our next book, The Change. We want to put out a trigger warning for our listeners that both books contain elements of sexual assault. Please be advised. Our next novel is entitled The Change by Kirsten Miller, just came out in May of 2022. The story takes place in present day in a wealthy oceanfront town on Long Island. The novel surrounds the lives of three women in their late 40s and early 50s who are both going through menopause and struggling with stressful life changes. The character Harriet recently ended a lucrative career in advertising at a large firm in New York. She had been at the height of her career, but was passed up for a huge promotion by a younger, less experienced man at the company. As if that isn't enough, Harriet's husband recently left her for another woman. Then there's Nessa. She is a widow who recently lost both of her parents. As if that weren't enough, her twin daughters, who are her only children, have both just left for college. Nessa is now alone and unsure about what to do with her life. And then there's Joe, who recently opened a new business, a woman's gym. She is the sole breadwinner in the family and is struggling with her husband, who not only isn't financially successful, but he's not even motivated to be gainfully employed. In the midst of all of this, while going through menopause, each of these women begin developing a special ability. We'll call it a superpower. Nessa begins hearing voices, and she feels certain they are the voices of murdered women who want to be found. Harriet becomes very attuned to plants and gains the ability to create potions that can either help or harm people. Joe finds that when she gets angry, she develops a great deal of physical strength. At the start of the story, none of these women know each other, but as the story unfolds, they all eventually cross paths and become good friends. Nessa eventually discloses to her new friends her new ability and asks Harriet and Joe to accompany her. She wants to follow one of the voices she's hearing, but is too anxious to do it alone. And so the women go together on a hike near the beach, and sure enough, they come upon a dead body. But Nessa quickly finds out that the dead woman isn't the only woman who's been murdered in their town. Concerned that the police aren't doing enough to investigate the crimes, Harriet, Ness, and Joe take it upon themselves to uncover the murderer. I could not put this book down, and I finished it in a weekend. It's gritty, it's funny, and very relevant. So many of the issues addressed in this novel felt ripped from news headlines over the last five years. In addition to this being a compelling thriller, it's also inspiring and empowering with a lot of very dry, comical undertones. The character Harriet Osborne in this book is absolutely hysterical. I laughed out loud several times at her lines. She is unapologetic and blunt and has such a dry sense of humor. Her character was just delicious. The novel The Change is about female friendships. It's about women supporting each other and women coming into their own and finding their strength. It also reframes menopause as an evolutionary process that gives women freedom and the opportunity to reinvent themselves. If you're listening to the show and are looking for a gritty, humorous thriller and strong female characters and a little bit of magic, then you've got to read this.
I'd really like to take a moment to thank the person who recommended this book to us. Ariel is the daughter of one of our employees, Jen. She told Jen about the book and thought Michelle and I would like it. Ariel, thank you. We did enjoy it very much. I hadn't even heard of this book until your mom mentioned it to us. Thank you so much for the recommendation. This novel has already been picked up by a production company and is going to be turned into a TV series. I'm not sure what channel or streaming service is going to host it or who is even going to star in it, but as a series, it should be quite something. Yeah, this is a great summer read for women, and I can't wait to see the actresses chosen to play these roles. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kirsten Miller has created a wonderful cast of characters, but I did blanch or cringe during a particularly mm. violent episode near the end of the novel. For me, it just went a little too far, mm. but it doesn't take away from the book. It's short. It's brief. It's okay. Gotcha. The book again is entitled The Change by Kirsten Miller. It was published by William Morrow and Company in May of 2022. Kirsten Miller is a white American author who is originally from North Carolina and now lives in New York City. Like her character Harriet, Kirsten Miller worked in advertising in Manhattan for 20 years. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> Kirsten Miller is the author of over 14 novels, mostly YA and kids books, and I believe The Change is her first adult novel. <laughs> Our next book today is a new novel that was just published in May called City of Orange by David Yoon. The novel takes place in present day. When the story begins, the main character is just waking up. He's disoriented. He finds himself outside on the ground. He feels sand below him. He opens his eyes to find a concrete overpass above him. He feels pain at the back of his head and finds dry blood there from some type of wound. As he comes to, he can't remember anything. Who he is, where he is, he can't remember anything. If you can visualize it, he finds himself in one of those empty concrete river channels like they have in Los Angeles. Over the course of the next few days, he simply struggles physically with hunger, disorientation, and headaches. He eventually becomes lucid enough to crawl his way up the slanted concrete to the street, and what he finds is devastation. Everything's been abandoned, some buildings have been destroyed by fire, the people are all gone, and the world as he knew it no longer exists. This book is written in the first person, so the reader accompanies the main character in his thoughts, his terror, his panic, and his mental process as all of this unfolds. Was there a war, he wonders? Was there a nuclear bomb? And so the reader gets pulled into this compelling mystery about who this man is, what happened to the world, and how he will survive moving forward. Early on, he finds a little makeshift encampment that someone abandoned at the top of the slant of the concrete under the overpass, and he finds a little food. He comes across this little handheld device, feeling a deja vu about it, but he just can't remember what it's for. It turns out it's a can opener. This is how impaired his memory is. But then, as the story progresses, he begins to remember little snippets of things. I think I might be Asian, but I don't think I speak an Asian language. I feel like the word California means something, and slowly his memory begins to come back. While he tries to navigate this new world he finds himself in, he's also managing the painful feelings of wanting his memory back, yet being terrified to remember for fear of remembering all of the people he may have lost. Then one day, as he struggles to adjust to this new world, he sees another person. 
This book is a slow burn with a very startling ending. Without giving too much away, he does remember, and we do find out what happened to the world. You know, there are some books that deliver an immediate reward and an instant thumbs up. For me, this book was so outside the box and unique that it left me ruminating about it, and my full joy came a few days after finishing it. I felt the same delayed joy when I read Ruman Alam's Leave the World Behind and Ling Ma's Severance. City of Orange is a really enjoyable literary mystery, and it's very compelling. I really enjoyed the main character. He was such a good man and such a relatable character. I just loved his mental process. At one point, as he's trying to figure out what may have happened, he thinks, oh my god, what if there was a zombie apocalypse? And then he quickly talks himself out of it, knowing there's no way there's zombies. I just loved his internal process the whole time. Anyway, it's a good summer read and a good literary mystery. The book, again, is called City of Orange by David Yoon. His last name is spelled Y-O-O-N. The book was published by G.P. Putnam & Sons in May of 2022. David Yoon is a Korean-American author who grew up in Orange County, California, and now lives in Los Angeles with his wife, who is also an author, and their daughter. City of Orange is his fourth novel. book recommendation is an historical fiction set in France entitled The Women of Chateau Lafayette by author Stephanie Dre. The 550-page novel is centered around a French 18th century castle and the courageous women who lived inside its fortified walls. Stephanie Dre is known for writing historical women's fiction, and in this novel she weaves together the stories of three different heroines, Adrienne, Beatrice, and Marthe each living in three separate time periods, specifically World War II during the 1940s, World War I from 1914 to 1918, and the French Revolution of 1789 to 1799. It is important to remember that France's Revolutionary War started six years after the American independence was won with the help of French aristocrat Marquis de Lafayette, an historical character known to fans of the Broadway musical Hamilton simply as Lafayette. Lafayette is heir to the book's namesake, Chateau Lafayette. The chapters rotate between the three female protagonists, each of them in a war-torn era in France. Through each of the characters, we are shown how history repeats itself with heroic acts made by all three women, each in her own time and in her own way. The first of the three heroines is Adrienne Lafayette, the eloquent, defiant, and courageous wife of the Lafayette, who fought alongside George Washington during the American Revolution. She is sometimes referred to as the mother of two nations, France and America. She is steadfast in her support of a constitutional monarchy in France, risking her own safety and status to defend her beliefs and to keep her family together, even during the bloody and vicious reign of terror. Next is Beatrice Chandler, a wealthy American socialite and former actress with an unconventional past. Witnessing young men being shipped overseas during World War I and feeling unfulfilled with her life, she is desperate to do something meaningful. Beatrice turns her various skills into a vital war effort, safeguarding children at the Chateau and eventually embarking on life-threatening voyages across the Atlantic Ocean on diplomatic assignments. And last but not least is Marthe Simone. Marthe is a young French school teacher. 
Orphaned during the First World War, Mart has grown up at Chateau Lafayette, now a preventorium for sick children. With aspirations of becoming a sculptor, Mart's dreams of fleeing her sleepy French village for the bustling streets of Paris are derailed when Nazi Germany invades France, and she finds herself faced with the choice of cowering or fighting back. This was a fabulous read. Hmm. For those of you who like to read multiple books at a time, I don't necessarily recommend it with this book, or at the very least, wait until you are 100 pages in. This will allow you to learn about the three main characters and the distinct time periods in which they reside. If you like Kate Quinn novels by chance, then you will probably enjoy Stephanie Dre's The Women of Chateau Lafayette. In fact, Kate Quinn and Stephanie Dre appear to be good friends and have collaborated on projects including the titles Ribbons of Scarlet and A Year of Ravens. The one thing that frustrated me while reading this was not knowing which parts were true historical facts and which were fiction. Fortunately, at the end of the book, there's a note from the author 15 pages long. Herein, Stephanie Dre provides an explanation for her decision to write about these three heroines and the clarification I was looking for with regard to parsing fact from fiction. It's funny that you say that. I think of this author I really enjoy, Amitav Ghosh. He's from India. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this book called Sea of Poppies, set in India, I think the 1800s. Yep. And the whole time I was reading the book, he kept using these Hindi words, and, and I didn't know what they meant, like Laskar and Kabali Mash. And I spent a good deal of the book looking up these words on the internet to, to find out what they meant. And it wasn't until I finished the book, I turned the last page, and there was a glossary that was like 30 pages long <laughs> that included all of these words. So a little reminder, definitely look at the back of a book when you're reading historical fiction or, you know, a book of another language that mm. might have a glossary at the back to help you out. Good advice. Yes, as you know, I am one who always reads her books cover to cover. But, you know, I don't think to rush to the back first. <laughs> I will do that <laughs> moving forward. Perhaps not a bad idea. <laughs> this book, again, is The Women of Chateau Lafayette by Stephanie Dre. It was published in March of 2021 by Berkeley Books. Stephanie Dre is a best-selling author of historical women's fiction, most notably My Dear Hamilton and America's First Daughter. Her books have been translated into more than eight languages. She lives near Washington, D.C. with her husband. Before we end today, Michelle and I would like to say thank you to all of our listeners for supporting the podcast. The podcast service we use gives us data that includes where our listeners are from, which is really fun data to see. We currently have listeners from 19 different countries, and we would like to thank all of you for listening. To our listeners in Germany, England, France, Spain, Portugal, Brazil, Morocco, Japan, Albania, Australia, Lebanon, Mexico, and all of the rest, thank you so much for listening to You've Got to Read This. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. All of the books we discussed today can be purchased on our bookshop page by clicking the link in notes. Make sure to check out as a guest when you make your purchase, and we will receive a portion of each sale that goes to the production of this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd appreciate it if you give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.